Hey everyone, before we get started, wanted to share the update that we will be releasing the first edition of our new newsletter titled Unleash Your Inner Athlete this coming Sunday. So if you're new and this is your first Court to Corporate episode, one of the big reasons why I started this is because I believe, and if you're listening to this, you probably believe that being an athlete provides you with the skill sets and intangibles to find success in your next chapter, whether that's in your career, in your next venture, in your next business, whatever that may be. Um, If you're keeping score, we have had the opportunity to sit down and interview almost 40 athletes um, across all industries, major companies, all with the goal of discussing how they have leveraged the game and their athlete experience to find success in their careers. So at this point, we've had the podcast for about a year and we want to share the takeaways. We want to package up all that we have learned, all that you guys have been along the ride for into key takeaways, key insights, key advice that you can apply as a current student athlete or as an athlete that's now into your career. So in short, think of this as career advice designed for athletes by athletes Super excited to share this first one. As mentioned, it's coming this Sunday. Head to the link in our show notes to receive the first one. And then also share this around with your current teammates, your former teammates. Just share it with an athlete that you know. And um, looking forward to hearing your feedback on the first one. Welcome to the Court to Corporate Podcast. I'm your host, Kirby Porter. On this show, we sit down with current and former athletes to discuss their personal playbooks and dive deeper into how it has translated into success and lessons outside the game and in the business world. You can find this podcast on your favorite streaming platform or at courttocorporate.com. Court to Corporate is all about amplifying the journey of athletes in corporate America and showcasing how your athletic influence can serve to build your path. Stay up to date with more content and perspectives across all of our social platforms. These will be linked in the show notes or they can be found on our website. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. All right, welcome back everyone to another episode of Core to Corporate. Today on the line we have Brian Ford from Facebook and Trinity College men's basketball alum. Brian, thank you for joining us. Good morning. How are you? Great, 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 great. Um, so always love having fellow podcasters on the line. Makes the conversation yep. that much easier, you know how it goes. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> so let's as always, let's start with um, Ball is Life. So Trinity College men's basketball team. Tell us about your time in that program. How do you look back on that experience um, You know, now at this life stage? Yeah, um, it's crazy because you look back at your years of college, whether you're an athlete or not, and realize like how good you had it for, for most of the time. Um, and then I think back to the time that I, the times that I share with my teammates on and off the court. And that truly to me is what defined those four years. Like, yes, we were student athletes and yes, our education was a huge part of it, but though I wouldn't have gotten through those four years without my teammates. Um, so you look at it like you guys were on a team together on and off the court. And Trinity was something that, <clears throat> excuse me, for me, I, it wasn't even like in the cards for me. I was gonna, I was actually gonna go walk on at Temple, and um, I'd, I'd gotten some lower D two, high D three looks, um, and in my mind, like growing up in the Bronx, playing in the Catholic school division, at that time, it was like you're going Division one, or or that's it. And I had my eyes set on walking on a temple. I've had conversations with the coaches. Um, I'd been working my butt off all summer to make sure that I was ready. Um, and I felt like I had a good shot at making the team. <clears throat> but I still continued to play in uh, unsigned showcases throughout the summer, um, even after I graduated. And it was crazy. We played in a, uh, a showcase at Springfield College. It was in August. And I remember I had orientation at Temple that day. 
Mm-hmm. Oh wow! So this is or, like. Or I had to report. I had to report. It's getting close. That yeah. Night. Yeah, wow. like super close. I had to report that night, um, but I convinced my parents to let me go to the showcase, and I I promised I'd be back in New York in time to be able to get to Philly that night, um, and I went off in the showcase. I. I think in the two games that we played, I had like 30 and 25 and I walked away from it. Like, you know, like you do anytime you have a really good game. It just felt like, all right, cool. Now I can get back to New York. Like we won. I, I played well, I didn't get hurt. Now I can just get back to it. Um, and I was introduced to the head coach and assistant coach, along with the two captains um, heading into the season for Trinity. And they, they knew my situation. They knew that I was headed to Trinity. Um, I'm sorry, they knew I was headed to Temple. But they had actually been looking at me because the head coach of Trinity at the time, Stan O'Grodnick, was good friends with Dennis Wolf, uh, who was a coach at BU, who was recruiting my best friend, Tony Taylor, who's on my AAU team. So he'd been keeping tabs on me through Dennis. So once it, he, he knew that I was going to be at the showcase, he came to see me in his mind, it was a done deal. Right. And I got back to New York. I'm still driving with my parents orientation. I get to Philly. I meet my roommate. I have, I'm starting to pick my class schedule. Um, and in the back of my mind, I'm still like thinking about all the conversations that i had had with coach Ogronic at Trinity. And I, I, I kid you not, like I walked out of like the last session of orientation. We drove back to New York the next day or that Sunday. And that Sunday night, Coach Ograta called and like it said, like, listen, we worked it out with admissions. We worked it out with the athletic department. We have a spot. Um, If you want to do this, like we can make it happen. And Two days later, I withdrew. I I had to beg and plead with my mom because that was a that was a check she wasn't getting back. Um, I withdrew from all my classes and was at was in Hartford at Trinity's orientation the following Saturday. Oh my gosh, that is okay. So so many questions. I I guess like what yeah. like what in your gut told you that Trinity is the decision that needed to be made, right? Because, you know, so many so many things come up and a lot of what-ifs come up. And especially given, like, you were already on campus, you were already on a path. So what yeah. about that team, that program, that coach, that leader, that experience that you saw for you as an alternative made yeah. you feel so confident that, hey, I'm going to leave this path that I'm already in yeah. and, and go do that? Um, it was just as far away from home. Mm-hmm. So that, that was step one where I knew like, I didn't really want to, I never wanted to be a flight away from home. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was step one. Um, number two was the education that it offered and Temple's a great school, but I'm looking at all the offerings that Trinity had. Cause obviously coach had sent over every pamphlet imaginable. I'm, my mom is now going to the website. She's looking at all the great coursework that's available, the beautiful campus. And then, like, lastly, it came down to the fact that I was essentially guaranteed that I was going to play as a freshman. And I, had, at this point, I was, I was 18 years old. I spent the last, like, probably year and a half working as hard as I'd ever worked. And I didn't like the fact that there was a chance that it was going to end, it was going to end that temple. So that guarantee was enough for me. I mean, I also like Deontay Christmas was at temple and was playing the two guard. It was just a year older than me. He ended up being an all American. I would have have been sitting. (laughs) It wasn't like, it wasn't like, Oh, we have a spot. We have a roster spot open and there's potential for you to play because we're weak at the position. No, there was an all American ahead of me. So 
it made it that much easier for me to decide. And I think I was able to kind of play it with my mom a little bit. And I kind of leaned on the academic part because I knew that that would matter more to her. And meanwhile, I knew like all of my coaches, all, all of my teammates from AAU, they all said like, no, you got to go to Trinity. You got you're going to play. And then yeah, a week later I was in Hartford. So I'm curious to hear, I do want to, I'm going to ask you what you thought your best season was, but what mm-hmm. do you think that you learned from that decision? Like what life lesson do you think that you ultimately took away from, from doing that? Um, it's crazy. Cause I think for me, it proved that your life can change for the better in an instant and decisions that you make perhaps on impulse may not make sense to you or anyone else initially, but now I'm sitting here nine years removed from graduation and I'm still identifying all the blessings that have come my way because of that decision. And I, I, I was too naive at 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 to realize any of that. Right. And that I think that shaped the way how I go into big decision-making now, how I think about mm-hmm. impulse thoughts. And I think it's, it's a lot easier for me to identify the long-term potential good in something because I'm living through it now. Right. Like I look at the people who I still talk to a majority of my teammates every single day. Wow. <laughs> I've, I've, I've traveled the world with like the world with many of my teammates. I've been best, the best man in weddings. Like I've all of these people that I would not have met mm-hmm. had I not made this decision. And granted, that's not to say that a lot of these great things couldn't have happened had I gone to temple, but these are things that are proven to happen. have ties back to <laughs> Trinity. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. So, so to wrap up this piece, what was the best season of your career and why? Um, I would say my sophomore year, sophomore year. Um, so just a little bit of context, my freshman year, we won the NESCAC for the first time in school history. We, we hosted uh, an NCAA tournament game. It was a, it was a huge deal. We, I was one of seven freshmen on the roster that season, um, but one of only three that, like, really played that season. Um, so coming back to school sophomore year, like, we felt like we were destined for greatness, right? Like, right. we returned – we returned a solid – we lost – like, don't get me wrong. Like we lost tremendous leadership from our seniors and tremendous production, but we kind of felt like, you know, like it's our time. A week, a week before the season started, the coach, the head coach that recruited me had to step away for a health reason. And that shook a lot of us up because he was the main reason he was, he's now the court at Trinity has been named after him. He's, very well respected uh, in the New England basketball circle. Um, that was a big deal. And I think it was an additional layer of adversity that we had to all fight through. And I came back starting as a sophomore. And I think the first, I don't know, like five or six games in, into the season, I was, I was averaging probably like 20, 21 points a game. And this was coming from a freshman who the previous season had averaged maybe six or seven points a game. Um, and I think I just played with uh, a different level of confidence that season. I think because we had so much that was going against us, there was, you know, as, as any big transition, like it was a huge culture change on the team. We, we transitioned to, our assistant coach had taken the intern position and it was just different, you know, like it had a completely different feel. Um, so from an individual standpoint, I'd say <clears throat> probably my, my sophomore season, that's when I had my 
career high. Um, I think I probably had the, the best streak of individual performance my sophomore season. Um, but my senior year, I'd say, is probably pretty pretty close as well. Definitely. Definitely, definitely. Because that's when, like, all the, all the emotions, all the emotions <laughs> yeah. are there. You you realize that, like, oh, this is my last time in this gym. And, it's, like, it just has Yo, like, so much <laughs> it's crazy. feel to it. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You want to leave all those gyms on a make. Like, it's just so much more that goes into it. I think I was more excited my senior year because I learned to, to appreciate it all more. Um, so, yeah, I definitely say it's, it's close between between those two. I think senior year is so interesting, like, especially when you get to those last few games, like this time of year, like it's February 22nd as we're recording this. Yeah. And especially yep. like in the Ivy League, I'm not sure what your schedule was like, but we did like back to back on the weekends. So instead yeah. of it having being like spread out like a game on a Tuesday, like whatever, yep. you can count the weekends. And it was like always yeah. crazy. To, was... Did you guys have the same structure or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for okay. NEFCAC, you had a tra- you had a travel partner. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So ours, the back-to-back games for us was always us and Wesleyan. Mm-hmm, yep. Um, and so you would play on a Friday night. You would play Friday night at Wesleyan, and then Saturday night at – Saturday afternoon at Trinity, whatever the case was. Um, so, yeah, and truth be told, like, people forget basketball spans across semesters. Yeah, <laughs> A long <laughs> so that that senior season when all of a sudden like real life questions start coming up that changes stuff too right like you are starting to go on interviews and you're sharpening your resume and like you know it's this isn't the high division one level where we've got guys that are like oh no nah, i don't even need to worry about that because i'm going to the league <laughs> exactly everybody's Tam, have you been to career services this week? Like, <laughs> has anyone has anyone responded? Have you gotten an internship yet? Has anyone gotten back to you on your resume? Like, that's a whole nother layer of it, but it adds to that excitement. Like, it puts it puts a, a heightened sense of urgency on your production <clears throat> and the work that you put in to make sure that you're ready every weekend. Exactly, and that's perfect. I mean, take us back to senior year, Brian. Um, what did you envision, you know, your career taking you at the time? Um, or like, did you have an idea of where you wanted to start? Yeah. Um, it's actually kind of crazy because before I even got the job at ESPN, I started telling people that I was going to work at ESPN. Um, how, how early on, like, you know, I truly, I truly did. I truly did speak it into existence. Um, no, I'd say probably, probably late junior year. Mm-hmm. Um, was when I started. Uh, so, um, the VP of our business operations group at ESPN, Lori Laba, um, who works in Bristol, came to Trinity uh, to give a speech for our career services department um, and asked the head of career services to pick two students, um, a junior and a senior, to come to dinner with her after her speech. Um, I, if there was one thing that I knew to do when I was at Trinity was to befriend the people in the career services department, the folks in the culinary department, the folks in the post office, I made sure that I had the connections with ultimately the decision makers that can make my life a little bit easier while on campus. So I was fortunate enough to have a strong relationship with the head of career services where I was the junior that was selected to go on this dinner. So that was where. I, my, my intro to ESPN actually began and I took her up on her giving me her card and saying, reach out whenever you have any questions. I was that, I was the hopeful kid that the next day I had sent an email thanking her for her time and had casually included my resume, even though she didn't ask for it. And completely left myself open to whatever opportunity it was that she had for me. And I, to this day, anytime I've, I obviously I don't see Lori nearly as much now that I, since I've left the SCN, but anytime I saw her, I made sure to thank her. That was 
my intro. And I think because of it, I knew how lucky I was and fortunate I was to have that conversation where I knew, all right, I, it, this is mine to mess up. Mm-hmm. But I knew there was no way I was going to fumble that kind of opportunity. Not fumble in the, the bag. Point where I, <laughs> to the point where, right. I, to the point where I was, I was manifesting it to myself. Like I, I knew that was where I was going to end up. And I also knew that somehow I was going to make it work where I didn't have to stay in Bristol to do it. And I mean, like you, you think about obviously continuing to play. Um, I had considered the possibility of doing a grad program overseas where I would still have the opportunity to play. Um, we had a, a, one of my teammates is actually from Dublin, Ireland. Um, and he and his family out there have really close ties and have all played professionally overseas. Um, and he had gotten my tape in front of a bunch of coaches and there were conversations that were happening there. Um, so I obviously considered that. And that's obviously the dream is to somehow continue playing and hopefully play to the point where someone's going to pay you to play. But then it got to the point where I was so far along with this journey for ESPN that once I got the call, which was also one of the craziest calls ever, with my offer, there was no way I was turning it down. Wow. What was different between that decision and the decision to leave Temple to go to Trinity? Um, what was different was because I knew ESPN was my dream company. I had no idea what was ahead of me going to Trinity outside of the fact that I was going to play. Mm-hmm. Like, it was everyone's dream company. Like, I, I, I'd been watching SportsCenter every morning since I was a kid, like, and at the time you just look at ESPN and think like, Oh yeah. Like this means I'm just going to be around sports all the time. And like, you don't realize the ins and outs that go into making ESPN as great as it is. But as I got older and I gone through internships in my earlier years in college and started to understand the landscape of the industry, I knew that if there's a place to go in the media and entertainment industry, as it pertains to sports, it was ESPN. So when I got that offer, it like, I don't need, to be honest, I was 22 years old. I don't even think I, I gave them the time to even think that they had to come back with a better offer. Like I got this call as I was leaving the library, heading into my last final as a senior. So like kind of late. Yeah. Like I was, I was like, I was prepared to go home. I was going to work a bunch of camps and figure it out. And I knew like I had it all lined up. Like I knew I would work. uh, There were a couple college camps back in New York, uh, Pace University that I was going to work at. I was going to work a couple high school camps. I would do Eastern Invitational and that would carry me into the fall and then hopefully I'd figure something out by then, but I'd bought myself some time and that call changed everything. Like I was, I, you know what this is like, like when you're getting ready to go into that last final hand in that last paper and those senior week is ahead of you, like (laughs) you're like, you are completely checked out. Right. Right. And I kid you not, I was putting my, my books away. I was, getting ready to leave the room in the library to head to my last final and got the call of my offer for ESPN. That's amazing. Before, um, you know, diving into ESPN, I do want to go back super quickly to this notion of like speaking it into existence, but clearly you're the person that doesn't just, you know, say it and wish it. You actually put the action behind it. So can you like share some advice on that? Like whether it's the follow-up email, whether it's being persistent Mm -hmm. and like, you know, doing your due diligence and your research or, you know, making sure yeah. that your name is known, doing the extra step of sending your resume. Um, yeah. Like, whether it's that first opportunity at a college or what you do now, what's your mindset in terms of, like, how you speak things into existence? Yeah. I mean, I think it, it ultimately ties back in, into your willingness to do the work that's going to align with the things that you're trying to manifest. 
I think a big part for me was once I started putting it out there, I didn't want to fail and feel embarrassed because I told all my peers I was going to work at ESPN and now everyone's graduated and started their jobs and they see me with a whistle coaching 15 year olds. Like it's already in the universe. You got to make it happen. Right. Like, <laughs> and I think that's part of the reason why with a lot of these things, I, that's how I, that's how I start my thought process of it. I've, I've already decided it. It's done. Now I got to figure out the work. That's the fun part for me. It's like doing the work to get there. You in, cause that's the thing you can envision the championship. You can envision the vacation. You can envision all of the money and the cars and whatever it is, all the properties you can't envision the work until you put it out there and now have to figure out how can I obtain it. So for me, it was about being super present. I, like I said, I joked about sending that email the next day, but I wanted Lori to know I was serious. I've learned that you got to take people for their word and then allow them to show you that they didn't really mean it. If you tell me like, if Kirby, if you call me and say, listen, call me Wednesday at 12, I got you whatever you need. And I call you at 12 and you don't pick up. This is no longer something that I've done to prohibit myself from accomplishing that goal. You know what I mean? Like right, I, I right. took you for your word. And so I, you always have to be present. I don't just mean like in someone's face, like be present in the moment of your thoughts, be present in the moment of the things you're putting into existence, be present in actively working towards obtaining those goals. So that for me meant making sure I was following up on emails, making sure I was consistently meeting with career services who I also knew had a line to Lori. So even if she wasn't responding to my emails, she was going to be in contact with my career services advisor. And if he had good things to report because conversations that he and I were having, it was going to get back to her. I went crazy trying to obtain the contact information for anyone that worked in media for every NBA team. I, I somehow found this book that had like the, it was like the, um, like the media booklet for the NBA season for 2009, 2010. And they do like a full recap of the year with all the stats and they credit all the folks who were responsible for providing these stats and stories. I have, and how I did you find to, that? <laughs> I, it was in, I think it was in like a Barnes and Noble or something. And I looked in the appendix and it credited every single member of every single team who was responsible for, any bit of information in that book. And I would literally write down those emails and email every single person. And do you like, sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes that person, even if they didn't go to Trinity, they may have a friend who went to Trinity. So that entices them to respond to your email. Or sometimes they're just impressed with the fact that you were able to find it. And you're a kid that's just trying to, to get it. You, you have to let people be the ones to decide on the, the hard work that you put in. Because that's one thing that no one can ever really take away from you, right? Like if I, you can walk away from a workout and I can look at you, I can see your face is all red, you're sweaty. I know you put in the work. That can't be debated. So I wanted to make sure that I was showing up that same way when I was reaching out to these folks at these teams. And eventually it was, again, it was about being present. If anyone needed to jump on a call just to get to know me or learn about ideas that I had, or just to do an intro, I was there. And you have to realize, like I, I've, I've tried relating it back to sports all the time. Outside of shooting at the free throw line and in the paint, you're only expected to succeed 40% of the time. Mm-hmm. you know and that's like we're yeah. talking like like Steph <laughs> 40 percent the like, best of the best right you've got like yeah. high volume scores and shooters in the NBA that are that are shooting mid 30s and they're highly successful yeah. so I continue to take that ideology with me if I send out emails to 10 people and I only hear back from three that's three more than I heard back from yesterday. 
Right. Right. Well, it's three new people in my contacts. It's three new possibilities. So I like, I, and I, like I said, I was a, I was a shooting guard and I think like people joke and say, shoot to get out, shoot to stay hot. That was kind of the ideology that I had in terms of reaching out to people. All right, I'm going to reach out to 10 people. Maybe I, I miss all 10, but I'm going to make the 11th. I missed the 11th. Well, the 12th is damn sure going in. And that was something that and I, I got from listening to Kobe. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. Like that was something that, that known for carrying with him on and off the court with everything that he did was like, listen, I'm a shooter. I, I know I'm good at this. Yeah. You have that confidence. You know, you put in the work. There are outside factors that are preventing you from missing the shot for making the shot. Sorry. I <clears throat> so just reminded me, me of his quote. Um, I, I believe it's something along the lines of like, I'd rather go. Oh, for, I don't know. Oh, for 27 than Oh, for nine, because yeah. going Oh, for nine means that I gave up. Yep. You know, like that, everything about what you're saying reminds me of that. And, and again, ultimately, I knew what I was working towards. I was working, I was speaking, working at ESPN into existence. This wasn't like, and I was aiming for the stars. Yeah. So yeah, it's going to require an elevated level of work. Yeah. And I just never, I never stopped. Wow. I mean, so much to take away from that, like in terms of, you have you control your output right like yeah. i just i love how you reframe um like this the simplicity of like reaching out to people yep you reach out to 10 people who cares if only one gets back that's one that you didn't have before so you know just right. thinking about it that way and you know whatever stage that you're in is is really powerful um but so so to move on to your time at ESPN, um, so you talk about um, doing the work to get there. So yep. in your time span at ESPN, what was that journey for you? Your first role was in business operations and eventually yep. wound up in revenue management and client services. Mm -hmm. So what what was that span like at ESPN and what was the work to get there? Yeah, so ESPN was almost kind of non-traditional too. Like I got there and learned that the business operations coordinator role that I had accepted, that title was really just a blanket title for we're still trying to figure it out. So once you're here, we'll give you some projects and we'll see where it goes. Um, and I think that's one thing that now as older professionals, we learn happens a lot for incoming talent and that's super young and naive and don't know any better. Um, that's to say, I similarly to me trying to get into ESPN, I use it as, as an opportunity to kind of direct my own narrative. I was now tasked with previously at ESPN, there were pre and post sale um, account service representative roles that had existed. And they had identified that it was a more efficient process based on feedback from agencies and clients that if there was one point of contact to deal with, it would make their lives a lot easier. So I was tasked with learning essentially both roles. Once I started ESPN, I was learning pre and post sale all at once, all only in the digital space. Um, and this had never been done before. So it took me probably nine months and I was, I was signed. And this is another thing that you learn is like, I was signed on a contract role. And my contract was like 18 months or something like that. But in my mind, I was like, well, shit, I was thinking about doing basketball camps for three months and figuring out. So if I can work at ESPN for 18 months and figure it out, I'll be fine. So I didn't care that it was 18 months. I had, I had gotten approval of the role within nine months. I had gotten promoted to a full-time position in under a year. And it was all about like, okay, like now just figure out what's next. Like I had, I had essentially birthed a role that initially started in New York. And then by the time I was done with my second year, I had trained <clears throat> employees across the country to now embody this role because I was the only one with the experience. Yeah. 
So yeah, it, it, it's kind of a testament back to that, all the work that you put in, because I had no idea where that was going to take me. I had no idea that it was going to garner me the respect of the higher ups because they look at it from a completely different lens. And all they look at is like, wow, you, the, the 22 year old that we just hired is now doing both of these roles that we have people that are in their mid to late twenties doing. I, I, I want to, anytime that kid asks for a meeting, find some time on the calendar. And I made sure, again, I was present. I was, I was a fun guy to be around in the office. I was making sure that I was going to be present for people's going away happy hours. I was going to be there for, and at ESPN, like we were going out a lot. We were entertaining clients. We're going to games. We're, we're going on trips. Like I, I was, not only was I present, but I made sure that, I interacted with as many people as I could. People knew who I was because that's, that's just part of the battle, especially when you're doing this as a man of color. So I, I just never let up. I just made sure that I was always present and I formed relationships with the right folks. And that's another thing is you got to, I was never afraid of the people that I sought out to be my mentors. Can you talk about that? Like, yeah. Um, how, how do you actively seek mentorship? Um, and how did you let go of, um, I guess, like fear of, you know, their title or, you know, cold calling or whatever, whatever yep. th- that initial barrier is? Well, I was fortunate because I had landed a job at my dream company. So for me, it was really about, figuring out the people that are internal that I can speak with, you know, like I'm at the place where I want to be. I know I'm working with the best in the business at the company that's leading the way, because at this time, like when I started ESPN, like Turner sports, wasn't really doing too much. Bleacher report didn't even exist yet. Like it was ESPN or like Fox sports hadn't obtained many of their rights. It, it was, and you like you know like the relationship with with the NBA was mostly based on the ties to ESPN. Because from a distribution standpoint, there wasn't much else out there for there wasn't many other places for users to obtain the content. So I just dug internally, and Wendell Scott, who is um, currently a senior vice president of ad sales at Disney or ESPN. <clears throat> man of color, played basketball in college. I was able to identify things that we had in common early. So that was my in. And I didn't care about it. I didn't care like, wow, so you're just going to reach out to the guy of color in the C-suite because he played basketball? Yes. (laughs) Yes, I am. Thank you. (laughs) Yep. That is exactly what I did. And I had to earn that relationship with him. Like I can, he and I are, are still close. Like we, we speak every, every so often. And I know he's someone that I can call and seek advice from at any point, but that's stuff you have to earn. And Mm -hmm. I didn't care like about the internal politics of, Oh, well, we know Brian and Wendell get along. So Brian has a little bit longer of a leash because he's in leadership. Yeah. I didn't care about it. Mm -hmm. I didn't care. Mm -hmm. Because unfortunately, you realize as you get older that in order for people to succeed and at the level that I ultimately want to succeed at, you're going to have to step on some people. You're going to have to do some things that people don't necessarily like. You just have to be the one that's cognizant about making sure that you're not doing it to people that you truly care about. Outside of that, outside of that, that's life. I just can't care about the the next person getting a promotion over me just because I I'm a nice person and I want to be happy for someone else. No, that's the bag I want because you getting your bag is great. And we, we may be friends and we hang out and that bag for you is not feeding my family. Mm -hmm. So you learn where to kind of draw those lines. So I knew Wendell was someone that I wanted to be like, I knew he was someone that I wanted to, to get game from. And I was just ruthless in my approach towards it. Yeah. I love that. Um, so before we move on to, um, you know, the, the pivot to Facebook, I would Mm -hmm. love to hear about like 
what about being an athlete specifically prepared you or positioned you for success at ESPN? So whether that's working in sports, like what was that athlete advantage or being in a revenue management and client services role, what skill sets did you learn that transferred? Um, I think, I mean, overall, it's so cliche to say, but like understanding a team environment Mm. was crucial um, because ESPN, and as I've since learned now and being in the industry for as long as I've been and transitioning over to Facebook, like you very much do function as a team. Everyone has a role. There's, there are leaders on the team. There are people that come in and have smaller roles, larger roles, some people similar to games. Like there's some people that in one meeting just go off for 30 (laughs) and you have no idea where it came from, but you walk away from it. It's like, wow, you just killed that. And then you never see it again. But like, it, it does very much, much so function like a team, like the days in the office when you aren't meeting and it's just about information intake and managing your client. That's like practice. And I think, from a competitive standpoint, I learned that like, listen, there's no hard feelings, but I want to be better than you. And I want to be, I want other people to know that I'm better than you too. Right. Like that, that's one thing that as, as an athlete, like if, if you're ever going to debate about me being better than someone, you better make sure that that person's great. Mm. You never want to be compared to a bum. Right. Like you, you think about it. I know we we've, we've talked about Kobe, but like, think about the two people that Kobe was ever compared to: LeBron and Jordan. Right. So cool. If if that's a debate that people want to have, I'm okay with that. You're debating that I, that me and someone else who's arguably the greatest to ever do it. We're trying to figure out who's better in that regard. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm but I hold myself to a higher standard to allow myself to ever be compared or debated about against someone who I think I'm superior to. And obviously I mean that in the regards of, in the realm of our abilities within our roles at work, not just me being a better person, but it's like, listen, we have the same role. We're both going for the same promotion. I don't even want it to be a conversation. And I think a lot of that comes from the, the attitude that I was raised with, playing basketball, but more importantly, playing basketball in New York city at the time that I did. Like it's crazy. Like when I was a senior, Kemba was a year or two younger than me. And he was the third string point guard on the team. On your team. On, in our, like they, so rice was in our division. Okay. So we played against them, and he was the third point guard on that team behind Edgar Sosa and Momo Jones. Wow. So, like, and you're talking about all-time leading scorer in Charlotte Hornets history, like, arguably on his way to a Hall of Fame career. That Mm -hmm. kid was fighting for time in 2006, 2007. And those are the, the, like, that was the environment all across the, like the summer you're playing on the AAU circuit, you're playing against the greats. Mm -hmm. And I think that helped. I mean, and again, like also coming from New York, like we're known to have an elevated level of of confidence and, and swagger that I think that came with it too. You know, like, yeah, I'm, I, I was in very much, I was the, the, the light skinned cocky kid from the Bronx that played basketball, but I needed to make sure that, but I, but I needed to make sure that I owned it and I lived up to it on and off the court. And then once you got into a work environment, it was really just about learning new skills, but you're applying a lot of the same principles. Of course. So with all of that said, so you spent six years at ESPN, fast forward to now at Facebook and Client Solutions, 
Can you tell yep. us more about that decision, right? I feel like that's you know, a recurring thing we continue to talk about in this conversation, making decisions, taking those leaps of faith. Yep. Um, what was that decision for you? What drove you to Facebook? Um, I mean, I think it was similar to the case of me accepting the role at ESPN. It was like, bro, this is Facebook. You don't, you don't come home and tell anyone in your life, oh, I just said no to Facebook. That was the, that was what was going through my mind. Um, and I think <clears throat> with ESPN, I had set a standard of where I was willing to go. And I think looking back in hindsight, I probably stayed at ESPN too long because I was, I was so tied to the dream of being a lifer at ESPN. Like there's a book that was written um, about ESPN titled those guys have all the fun. Mm -hmm. And a good portion of the early part of the book, like highlights lifers that had, that have still been with the company since 1979. And like the sense of pride that they carry knowing all the levels and levels of growth that they've been through at ESPN. And I really wanted that. I really wanted that. Like I, I looked at leadership and I looked at the positions that folks that were in the C-suite were in. And I saw the life that came with it and I saw the opportunity and I loved everything that I had gotten to do at ESPN and felt like one way or another, like, yeah, like these couple of years will be bad. But if I'm here for my entire career, say I'm here for 35, 40 years, what's two or three years in the long run? And I carried that because by 25, I'd been to three ESPYs. I'd walked the red carpet at the ESPYs. I'd gone to so many of these different events, you know, like I'd, been on the floor for an NBA finals game. I've gotten the all-star. Like I, these are all things that when you're younger, those matter more than, than the check sometimes. Because it's like, these are all dreams that you had growing up that you're giving to live out. So for me, I was able to table my aspirations for what I want later in life for things that I've been dreaming about since I was a kid. And that's a, that's a tough struggle, but I, that, that was what I chose to do at the time. So I say all that to say I made a short list of places that I was willing to go because, again, my standards were that high. I'd been at ESPN. I'd, I'd experienced a certain life. I'd experienced a certain level of understanding of the hierarchy of the industry as it stood in 2016 and 17 when I started looking and knew that I wasn't going to settle for anything. Because if I was going to settle, I could settle and stay in my job at ESPN. Which is, which I also reminded myself was, that was someone else's dream. So I was also able to like humble myself and remind myself how lucky I was to be at ESPN and just realize that like, I'm just driven. So I'm looking to leave, but that doesn't mean that I don't appreciate this. I just think I've outgrown it. So it got to a point where my, in my process of my first interview to finally accepting my offer at Facebook took about a year. Mm -hmm. um, crazily enough, I had gotten my first offer six months after my first interview. Um, and I, I was, I was lucky. Like I, in this regard, I'd submitted my resume for a role online with no references. I hadn't gone to a networking <laughs> event where I had, I had begged and pleaded with folks. I hadn't dropped my resume on anyone. I hadn't been introduced to anyone. Like I knew, I had known a couple people that had left ESPN and had transitioned over to Facebook, but I wasn't like pounding the job site and saying, Oh, this is the role that I want. Can you put in a referral? I kind of just casually applied because, it was one of those days where I was at ESPN and I wasn't feeling it. So I took an hour and was just applying the job. Six months after I had been contacted first, I got an offer 
and <clears throat> this was 2017, um, the Monday before Thanksgiving, I got a call from HR saying that I had passed, I passed my pitch round of the interview and they wanted to offer me a position. And I, if I accepted, I would have to report to um, Menlo Park out in Palo Alto the following Monday to start orientation. Wow. I had a three-week vacation to Bali in Australia, <clears throat> booked and paid for, and I was flying out. I was flying out that Thursday night. Oh, my gosh. I feel like this keeps happening to you. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. you're going somewhere, and then something else pops and up. I, and I pushed back. I pushed back. It was like, listen, I'm, I have this trip plan that's been paid for. And in my mind, I was like, that'll do it. And they were like, oh, no, we'll take care of the, the trip that you paid for. So now I was really stuck. Because that, in my mind, that was like checkmate. I was going to say that. You weren't going to uh, reimburse me. And we'll talk when we talk. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and then it worked out where I had had a very honest conversation with my, with my contacts in HR and my recruiters. And they had said, like, listen, like, you've gotten great feedback. You've received the recommend a hiring recommendation from the folks that interviewed you. So this isn't a guarantee, but there will be other roles that will open up and you qualify. So if you, you'll have to go through the interview process again. But if you're willing to go through it again, then when there's another opening, we'll reach out. And I, I slept on it, and the next day I called and said, I'm, I'm going to Bali. And I went, and I, I, it, was a, it was the best three weeks of my life. And I came back, and obviously I got back, like, middle of December. So I waited. I, I enjoyed the, you know how it is, like, the end of Q4, like, you're not really getting in contact with anyone. Um especially for me to reach out and tell you, I just got back from vacation. So let's work some more on getting me a job. No, I was, I was, I was going to be patient. And then, um, we picked conversations back up in January. I, by the end of February, I had accepted a role and I started in April. I started April 23rd of 2018. And again, it was ultimately a no brainer. It was, Listen, listen, this is Facebook. You figure it out. The opportunity was there. The opportunity was there. The money was there. But most importantly, it, it checked off all the boxes and things that I was looking for. And fortunately, I was in a position where I could afford to be patient until I found something that worked out exactly how I wanted it to. What were those boxes for you? Um... Personally, I think I, I was so caught up in the perception of what others thought that from a brand perspective, it needed to, I mean, no pun intended, it needed to be on brand with what you've come to associate with me. Um, there was a dollar amount that needed to be met that was met. There was a growth opportunity that is that de that definitely exists here at Facebook now. Um, and ultimately I think the biggest thing that I don't think I took into my decision in going to either Trinity or deciding to, to start working at ESPN was I knew that going to Facebook based on things that I've heard and seen about operating in this space, it was going to challenge me more than I'd ever been challenged mentally but it was also going to make me a better person because of the energy that I'm surrounded with every day, the incredibly talented and intelligent people that I'm working with every day, the incredible initiatives that we are afforded by the company. <clears throat> and at 
29 when I decided to join the company. That was, that was the decision that I needed to make to grow. I think it was one that in my mind, it was <clears throat> sometimes you got to make tough decisions in life that you know are going to result in growth in the long run. And to my earlier point, you can make a decision that can make you uncomfortable for a couple of weeks, but if four or five years down the line, you're super happy because of it, that's a solid trade-off to me. And I had to continue to instill that in myself upon making this decision. And ultimately it was a lot of unknown. It was a lot of, listen, like this is Facebook. Like you are working with the smartest of the smart. And then that's where that natural imposter syndrome sets where it's like, damn, are they making the right decision? But I, <laughs> I, I, I fed off that. I fed off of it. Right. I like, I can operate under a weird sense of comfort within chaos. And I think in my mind, all of those questions like fueled me because it was like, oh yeah, I'm going to prove anyone who has a doubt. I'm going to prove you wrong. Even self-doubt. In a weird way, I enjoy, I enjoy proving myself wrong sometimes. Right. Because Sometimes that's required to push yourself to levels that you didn't know you had. Facts. Yeah. So to wrap up, um, so much, so much was just shared. But if you had to share one thing, one piece of career advice that you wish you knew earlier in the game, what would you share with our listeners? Um, I think, again, I feel like this ties into my overarching point of never never be a victim to thinking that a couple weeks of discomfort or sadness or uncertainty is is going to hurt you you know what i mean like mm -hmm. never be a victim to it never think that the unknown is is going to remain unknown forever mhm mm and understand that in order to grow, sometimes like growing pains, like we, we talk about growing pains when you're, when you're younger, growing pains happen mentally too. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we talk about that enough is that in order for you to grow, sometimes you have to like, you have to force yourself out of situations that no longer serve you. Yeah. And for me, I think, it was having that understanding that like anyone who's achieved any sort of heightened success has gone through these moments too. anyone. There's no one, there are very few people that exist in this landscape that have achieved a high level of success and have just breezed through it. And if you find yourself in a position that you feel like you're obtaining things really easy, you're either a unicorn or you're not working hard enough, because it's, it's just not realistic. And the things you're, your goals that you're setting are just too easily attainable. So for me, it's like, realize that the work that you put yourself through in your twenties, I'm telling you, I, Kirby, I could not, I can't even think back to the, the worst work day of my life when I was 23 years old. Mm, wow. I'm sure it was a big deal to me then. Right. I'm sure it felt like the world was crashing down. I'm sure I had really shitty meetings with managers that at the time I was worried that it meant that I was going to lose my job. Or the time At the time I thought it meant that I'm not going to get a promotion this cycle because of this really bad meeting. I don't remember them. And to be quite honest, a lot of the people who I felt like had so much power in directing my career, I don't even remember their names. <laughs> so I think like re remaining remaining true to you and your overall mission and goal and the people that you know are going to be a constant in your life is something to to hold on to too because at the end of the day like I look at the people that are still in my life from that have remained in my life through all of those decisions 
and wrong, right, wrong, or indifferent, they've, they've stuck by me and I've figured out a way to get through it. So ultimately, like I said, like you always have to be willing to work harder than what you think is possible. Because at the end of the day, who really knows the exact amount of success that you want to attain? And in the environment that we live in today, everything is changing. Great. You can consider something great in, we're in February. I can consider something great in February that's, that unfortunately can be seen as average or mediocre by August depending on how the climate shifts. So for me, it's like always be willing to adjust with the times because things are shifting as, as quickly as ever and never be afraid to push yourself to that limit. All right. Thanks for listening into this episode. In the meantime, we want to hear from you. Stay connected. Leave us a comment on Apple podcast, DM us or contact us on our website, whatever is easiest. We want to know your feedback and what questions you have. Otherwise, we'll be back soon with more athletes, more perspectives and more pro tips on the way.